Welcome to another episode of Living an Ultra Life. I'm really excited to have Jessica Carter as our guest because this is a fellow pirate and Blackbeard's 100 finisher that I got to run 10 miles with on the adventure. And I'm really excited to have Jessica Carter as our guest. So Jessica, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, I got to know you a little bit in those first 10 miles. Thank you for running with the old guy. That was very sweet of you. So, uh, but tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, kind of who you are, what you do, um, married, job, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And also thank you for running with me. That was wonderful and unexpected. I thought I was going to be alone for the first 20 miles. So I appreciate you um, making that not so. Basically, I am 45 years old for at least another few weeks anyway, married to my husband, Jesse. I have a son, Adam, who is 20. And let's see, um, well, I grew up a Navy brat and I've been a bodily injury claims examiner for a major insurance company for, uh, gosh, about half my life. Um, wow. In my spare time, I enjoy running. <laughs> in your spare time. Yeah. <laughs> so t- now tell us how you got into running and where did the running start? Um, okay. Well, I guess I'll start by saying that I used to hate it, which <laughs> when I was in high school, I played team sports, primarily basketball was my favorite and running was literally punishment for us. You know, you missed your free throws during the game. You were running sprints at the next practice. It just I hated it. I avoided it. And once, um, once I got out of school, I didn't do it at all. But then I guess it was probably back in around 2006 or so where I worked at the time, my boss was super into running and also did some triathlons and just kind of, I don't know if he encouraged me to do it or if I was curious about it or if I was bored or what, but, um, I started running, um, for fun (laughs) and, uh, Then decided it might be fun to try a race and um, actually signed up for a sprint triathlon, the old Sandman triathlon in Virginia Beach, and decided that before I made my first race, I should probably try something simpler. So I signed up for a 10K, did that, and then just, I was into it. I loved it. And I guess it was probably about Oh, six months or so after that, I heard a commercial on the radio for uh, the team in training program and went to a meeting and signed up to train with the team to run my first marathon. I ended up running the Marine Corps marathon in 2007 and then just, just parlayed that into another marathon in 2008. I figured, well, I'm already trained for it. Let's keep it going. After that, I ended up taking a little bit of a break from running, had some life stuff going on, but I'd say I got back into it uh, in 2011 and just haven't really looked back. Got my husband uh, into it. He wasn't a runner at all. Now I can't keep up with him, Um, but it just progressed through the distances. As I started meeting more runners in the area and just finding that tribe of friends who like to run and I remember thinking that I was done with marathons for a while. I was enjoying the shorter distances. I was enjoying the half marathons. And then, you know, I remember in April of 2013, the bombings happened in Boston. And uh, that, you know, I was very moved by the aftermath of all of that. And um, in my ignorance, just decided right then and there that I was going to run 
the Boston Marathon. Like it was just that simple. I was going to run it the next year. And so I, I knew you had to qualify for it. And so I looked up what I needed to be able to do. And I think at the time I needed to run like a 340 or something along those lines. And my marathon PR at the time, I'd only run two, was like a 427 or something like that. But it, so it, was, a, it was a steep dive yeah, was to just get gonna, to 340. Yeah, it, was, it was a lot. But it, to me, it was just like, oh, I'll just run faster. You know, no big deal, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I signed up um, to run the, I think it was the Richmond Marathon that November. So November 2013. And that's where I was going to go. And I was going to run my 340 and I was just going to show up in Boston the next April and run it. <laughs> and so I, uh, you know, spoiler alert, that didn't happen. <laughs> I went and ran Richmond and I think I ran it in like 420 or something like that. 420 is some change. So I mean, I had improved, but still a long way to go. So I just, I kept, I kept at it and I was, I didn't have a coach or anything like that at the time. And I kept showing up doing my internet training plan, probably a good old Hal Higdon and I kept shaving time off, but not enough. And finally, like, I think I tried like three more times or something like that and just said, okay, I'm going to hire a coach. I need help. So I reached out and I hired a coach. Her name is Carrie Johnson. And I think at the time um, I had gotten my time down to like 410. So okay. still and is this like 2014 timeframe now, or are we like, 2016. now we're in 2016. Okay. So, so we're 2016 now. Okay. Yes. So, so yes. 2016 is when I reached out, I my coach and had my eye on um, running. I think I was going to do the Philadelphia marathon that November. And I knew at this point that my goal was, you know, I had a lot to, of time to cut. So I said, you know, let's, let's just, um, let's try to get under four hours as like the medium goal. And then if I can do that, I'll feel more confident that I can actually, you know, get down to that 340 ish. Also by now I've aged up. So I need a 345. So, okay. So yeah, you, you got five, you got five extra minutes, man. Yeah. That's awesome. That's huge. So I train my butt off for this Philadelphia marathon and, and the coaching is the secret. I mean, by all means, it changed everything about the way that I run. And I actually showed up in Philly thinking there was a shot at possibly getting that sub 345 right then and there, which didn't end up happening. But I did do like, a, I think I ran a 349 or wow. something. So huge kudos to my coach and her program and what a difference that made. And so finally, I'm thinking, okay. This is, this may actually happen. The story is long because this is a, <laughs> a long Yeah, no, this is great. Yeah, this is what the journey is. So yeah, yeah. It, so, it, it doesn't happen overnight. No, no, not for me. Not for me at all. I'm the uh, try, try again girl. I've started calling myself, <laughs> but uh, also stubborn. So anyway, fast forward to the infamous Shimrock 2017. Were you here for Shamrock? No, I was, I was out in Wyoming. So yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't here oh. for 2017. Okay. So the weather was just uh, challenging would be the understatement of the decade of just everything you can imagine. Wind, I think it was raining when we started. And by the time we finished, it was sleeting, snowing, oh. just, it was miserable. Yeah, and and out was, in the open area, that had to have been fun. Yeah, it was. And it's funny because, you know, the way Shamrock is, it's, you know, you're running in every direction. So when you, when you have a headwind, 
you know at some point you're going to have a tailwind. So being familiar with the course was super helpful for me because I knew if I could just get to Fort Story and because at the time they you still finished on the Fort Story half. They they've switched it since, but um, I just hung on to that and. Actually, my brother made a surprise appearance at about mile 22 and helped encourage me to the finish line. But I made it in 3:42 and changed. Wow! So I in got my the in the elements, you did 3:42. Yeah. Yes. Wow, that's so, impressive. Yeah, it was like it's every it's my barometer for when I think I can't do something. Now I'm like I think back to that race and I'm like I pushed through where where I just didn't think I could push any further and I know it's I know I left everything out there because I my finisher photos are literally me falling across the finish line and they put me in a wheelchair like that's how I was done like there was nothing left but the uh the thing is that the way the Boston Marathon was getting at that point was it was getting harder and harder to get in and just qualifying didn't mean anything you had to have a big enough cushion to actually make the cut. And the frustrating thing about it is you don't know how big that cushion is going to be until everyone applies and they know how many people are interested and they cut it off. And I didn't get in. Uh, um, I, I had qualified with like a minute and 52 seconds of a cushion and it wasn't enough. And so, you know, I found that out in September of 2017 and just it just crushed me. I kind of had a feeling it was going to happen, but I had talked myself into thinking that maybe I was going to get in. So anyway, I went back to the grind, decided that, okay, well, I'm just going to have a bigger cushion. I need to get at least five minutes under this qualifying time to feel good about it. Had another failed attempt in the meantime, but then um, city marathon in 2018, the magic happened. I got there. It was perfect weather. Um, It was actually a I wasn't supposed to be running that race. It was like six days before I had run a 20 miler for the Tidewater Striders distance series and prepping for Shamrock. And my coach looked at the weather forecast and just said, how are your legs? I'm like, I think they're fine. She's like, can you run a marathon in six days? The weather's going to be perfect. And so I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. I didn't want any hype. I didn't want any pressure, nothing. Cause it, I mean, as you can hear, this has been a long yeah. journey. <laughs> It was a lot of failure. I didn't want to tell anyone I was doing it. So I just showed up, figured if I felt like crap, I'd jump off the course and call it a long run. But everything came together. I qualified with a five minute and 16 second cushion, I think. Wow. And I got, I so got you in. you ran under 340. Yeah, I ran a 339.44. Awesome. Um, which I'll never do again. But <laughs> it was enough. <laughs> I got to run. Off in 2019. And so there we go. There's our April 2013 to April 2019, six years of my life focused on one thing. And I didn't give up on it and I did it. And then I said, this fast stuff is hard. I don't want to run fast anymore. I'm going to see how far I can go. And that is go. the long winded story of how I ended up in Ultra. <laughs> so let's go back and just kind of break this down. Six years. Uh-huh. You were singularly focused on getting into Boston, not just to BQ, but getting to run Boston and yes. you didn't give up. No. I mean that, you know, cause that's the real story right there is that you persevered through a lot. You had the failures. You didn't let the failures define you. You let them refine you and you took and 
you went and crushed it. I mean, at 339, that's, that's an awesome marathon right there. So, but, and, and you got to run Boston. How many marathoners try for years and never get that BQ, much less get to go run the street to Boston? That's a huge perseverance story. I don't even know if you realize how extraordinary that is. Oh, I appreciate that. It's, you bet. You I bet. believe now, I mean, it was small chunks, but look, when at the end of it, I'm like, six years, oh my God, that's so much time. <laughs> like if you had told me in 2013, okay, you'll get there, but it's going to take you six years. I really don't know what I would have said. <laughs> yeah, I, I really admire that. So then you, you got the Boston thing down in 2019. You decided, okay, the journey to ultra is weird. Your story is awesome because, I mean, you persevered in the marathons. I was just like, I gave up on marathons. I was like, oh. I, I don't have a fast bone in my body. Let's see if I can run far because <laughs> there's no fast bones in me. So you jumped from marathon in 2019. When was your first ultra? Um, well, actually, I did Seashore 2018. So I, had, I knew I had qualified. I knew I had gotten in. And I thought, well, look, let me see what this... Uh, 50k thing is all about figuring like oh, it's less than five miles more it's probably not going to kill me so I had I had done that one and I loved it I knew I, I loved running out on the trail it was awesome I loved the vibe of the whole ultra community I loved the buffet aid station thing so that was already kind of in the back of my mind as you know I was concluding my marathon focused running life I knew I wanted to go further. So that's what sparked that journey. And then I just kind of dabbled in it on my own. And given that I had run a PK, you know, me, I'm always like, what's next? What's the next thing? So, you know, I kind of followed the logical steps of ultra and set my sights on a 50 miler to try in the fall of 2019. And um, that didn't go so well. <laughs> okay. Which one was, which was your first 50 miler? I attempted the Whitewater Center 50, which is not extremely well known. It's not an ultra sign up, but it's in Charlotte. Like some big names have run it, but I was on the hunt for something that um, would be a good first time 50 miler. And, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. Like I didn't, I wasn't being coached anymore. And my brother suggested this race and thought now, it might be a good first timer. You've brought up your brother a couple times and we're going to find out that your brother is not a good influence, right? Uh, right. <laughs> so, I just wanted to point that out. We're just, we're just going to get that right out in the open, right from the very beginning. Jessica's brother, not good influence. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> go ahead. Continue. That was one of my favorite stories from when we ran together at Blackbeard. So <laughs> he, has, he does have a list of pros. I will say that. He is okay. <laughs> to some of my successes, but also there for all my failures. So go figure. That's awesome. <laughs> um, he, you know, he lives outside of Charlotte and he, you know, his regular daily run includes more vert than I get, you know, in a month living basically under the sea here in Hampton Roads. So um, I, I was not accustomed to technical trails or any kind of hills. And this race had both did the best I could to train for it, but I got about 40 miles in and was uh, timed out at an aid station. So didn't finish that. And yeah, I got my first official DNF, which was go. devastating at the yep. time. 
<laughs> wasn't my last spoiler alert. But that again, you know, then I'm like, all right, well, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. I'm gonna, gonna do it. I'm gonna keep trying until I succeed and registered for the, the damn Yeti 50 miler okay. in Damascus for the following June. And then COVID came. So that went virtual. And well, actually, I take that back. They postponed it till September. And they and I just didn't trust that it was actually going to happen. And I was trained up for it. And I'm like, I don't want to risk that it's going to get canceled or go virtual then. So I'm just going to do it now anyway. So I did a virtual 50 miler here. I ran from my house in Chesapeake, mapped out a route that ended up finishing in Virginia Beach, just on 64th Street outside of First Landing. So ran right into the ocean and was able to finish that distance. And that day was pretty hot. Yes, it was. Um, God, I, don't, I think it started in the 80s and went up. I don't know if it hit 90, but it felt like it was 106 when I was Right, because you had the humidity <laughs> and the heat yeah. going, but you finished the whole 50 miles. Yeah, yep, exactly. Now, yes. did, did, did anybody come out and pace you during that one? Or? Yes. In fact, you know, I'm, I'm terrible at asking for help. So I like think I'm going to do everything on my own. And I told my friends, you know, oh, I have this route mapped out every 10 miles. I had it. So that was near like a 7-Eleven. I was going to just run with my hydration vest and stop every 10 miles and refill my bottles. And uh, I was carrying all my nutrition and everything on me. But I, I did a Garmin live tracker thing so people could follow me. Okay. And, you know, it's COVID. So like nothing's going on. Nobody has any plans so like all my friends were like well heck no we're not gonna let you do this by yourself we're coming out my brother was in town with his family my sister-in-law was there my my niece the nephew a bunch of my friends came out and I had uh, my brother started with me we started at like 4 30 in the morning he ran a few miles with me and then I was kind of on my own my friend Kara jumped in and ran with me um, people showed up on bikes like every stop that was supposed to be a 7-eleven was like eight people or more. That's awesome. And just helping. Yeah. And then I had, uh, you know, my friend Carrie ran probably like the worst miles with me, the, the hottest, most open, no shade down like great neck Boulevard or wherever it is. Wherever it is. Road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. And then I get to the finish and there's probably like 15 people there waiting for me. And we all just went to the beach and partied and celebrated. And it was awesome. That is awesome. So, that is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so your your first fifty was virtual. Aren't those fun? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. I don't yeah, know it's like you that. cross the line and you're like, oh my god, that that's anticlimactic. And then you know, weeks and months later, you get the buckle. It's like I don't yeah. even remember what this is for. You know? So, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it showed up. I was like, oh yeah, I did that. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, yeah, virtual. I I pray that we never do virtual races ever again i second that for sure yeah (laughs) yeah then when did you do your first live ultra after the pandemic that ended up being a 100k okay which it actually worked out super cool because i was signed up for the race that i ended up doing which ended up being in november of 2020 was supposed to be in april but it postponed because of the pandemic and I had been signed up for a 50K. It was actually, it's the Mountaineer Rumble down in um, Kings Mountain, South Carolina. Okay. But it's a 50K loop. So they offered a 50K, 100K, and then a 100 miler also. And I had been registered for the 50K 
knew I wanted to do 100K in the fall after I hopefully finished my 50 miler. And since that had happened, I switched my registration and ended up jumping into the 100K instead okay. of 50. And that actually, I did not DNF. I actually finished that one. Awesome. So <laughs> nice to know I have an ultra distance that has a success. So yeah. So then, then it was like, well, now we have to do a hundred miler. That's just the logical. Yeah. So let, let's jump into that first hundred miler. It was Hello. Yeti. I, that's okay. We'll jump off of it really quick, but let's just talk a little bit because I, I think it's really important to your story of perseverance. I hope people are getting this feel that Jessica <laughs> Carter doesn't give up because right. I, I, you don't, you just, you persevered through a lot of junk. And so I think your first hundred miler is an important story. So let's just kind of jump into it. I know it's a, it's an ugly story, but let's just kind of jump into it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um, so I, I will say that I had, um, I started working with another coach um, who does more of the ultra stuff. So I'm training again. Everything is going well. I mean, I follow training plan. I'm doing everything to a T, you know, I don't miss runs unless I'm injured or sick or something, but um, I'm going to do exactly what you tell me to do. And I'm like a total running nerd. I read all the books. I listen to the podcast. I, I try everything. I study fuel, nutrition, like everything. So all of this to say that when I showed up at the start line of Yeti in September of 2021, I could not have been more prepared, you know? Um, I mean, I know nothing's guaranteed, but I had run the miles. I was trained. I had done all the research. Like it, there, the only, I didn't know, I knew something could take me out, but I just didn't know what it was. Right. Um, and then, like the universe was like, well, we're going to tell you what it was. <laughs> <laughs> there with a, with a group, gosh, I think we had probably, probably knew about eight people running the race. Wow. That's awesome. It was awesome. I mean, we had a great big group of friends and like, you know, and those who weren't running, everyone had their crew. So it was a huge group of people there that I knew. And I think, I don't know, I think if you had asked everyone, like, okay, of everyone in this group, of everyone running, if if someone's going to DNF, who's it going to be? And and I don't know that, or, or maybe that's the wrong question. Who's the least likely to DNF this race. Right. <laughs> and probably a good percentage of them would have said me just because of how much I trained and worked and, you know, was dedicated to the process. And then I was like the only one who didn't finish. So <laughs> <laughs> it just, I had some, I had some GI issues that just kind of, I couldn't get on top of. And by mile 42, uh, I, I wasn't planning to have a pacer until mile 50, but they were allowed at 42. So when I showed up at the 42 mile aid station, my husband was there and I just asked him if he could come with me. And he said, yes. And we walked, I mean, I was already walking, just only walking at like mile death 42. walk, right? Yes. I was death walking at mile 42 and I'm crying and my lower back is killing me. Like I already need my poles and this is not a hilly hundred miler. This isn't something where you should like know you're going to need poles, but I needed them just to support my weight um, with my back hurting. And I just knew something was wrong. And I, I told him, I said, you know, I've never been at mile 90 before, but I imagine this is how you're supposed to feel at mile 90, not at 42. Like I've been at mile 42 before a couple of times, and this is not how you should feel. Walked eight miles to mile 50 where I was planning to drop. And, um, 
you know, my, my, the rest of my crew is there and, and they encourage me to, you know, Hey, let's try to get some food in you. Let's, I, I think I, um, I sat down for a while. I think that was like a 45 minute stop, changed clothes to put on cold weather clothes for going up the mountain in the night. They were so optimistic that I was just going to rally, but I, I knew I'm like, this isn't going to happen. Well, it was probably, I think seven miles to the next official aid station, but they were adding another crew spot at that point where people could intercept you sooner. And in my very detailed spreadsheet and binder I had given my crew, I had told them, I shouldn't need you at the extra stop. Hopefully I don't. So it's seven miles to the next one. But just in case, the split between the two stops, it was like four point something miles where they could see me an extra time. And then like 2.37 miles from there to the official aid station. Well, they mixed them up and convinced me that I needed to continue on to the next spot where I could see my crew because it was only 2.37 miles. And at this point, my friend Rachel, yeah, my friend Rachel is picking me up and I'm like, okay, you know, Rachel came all this way and just because she was going to pace me, I I, I owe it to her to let her walk with me for 2.37 miles while I'm you know, in my misery. <laughs> so we set off and we're, I mean, I'm literally doing like a 35 minute per mile pace at this point. Wow. It's so bad. I'm having to stop like every five steps and just lean on my poles and stretch my back. It, I was a wreck and she was so encouraging, but we've been going for a good while. And I, I was not looking at my watch because there was no reason to look at my watch, but I knew we had been out there forever. So I was like, hasn't it been 2.37 miles? And she looks at her watch because, you know, she had just started with me and she was at like three and a quarter or three and a half or something like that. I'm like, what the hell, Joel? I said, oh my God, did you guys flip the segments? And she just, her eyes got real big and she's like, oh my God, hold on, let me look. And so she looks at her notes and she just looks at me and she goes, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, oh my God, I just lost it. What do we have? We have like 4.5. And we're only at 3.5. I'm like, <laughs> I can't walk another mile. I'm totally lose it. And, uh, you know, I'm just crying because just it, I, it was that bad. So, but I have no choice. Now I'm in the middle of the creeper trail. It's dark. There's nothing out there. I think we saw some like house off in the distance. I was ready to go knock on someone's door. I didn't care if like a serial killer lived there or what. <laughs> it didn't matter. I just needed off that trail. And we kept going it probably took an hour to go a mile I don't know but finally there's like a light in the distance and I'm like is this my husband and my brother is this somebody running back down the mountain is it a car is it a train I don't know what it is but thankfully it was my husband and brother and I was done and I think my watch said like 53.84 miles and I just hit stop and I'm like I'm not going to 54 I don't care like get me off this and you know and then of course you have to drive back to the aid station and like officially handing your bib be like I'm done I DNF I dropped whatever and oh my god my phone was in airplane mode during the race and I just left it there I'm like I don't want to talk to anybody I don't want anyone to know I just need to go to the Airbnb and just eat some food or something and cry and go to bed and just figure out what's next which is what we did. And then I laid down to go to sleep, slept for like, I don't know, a few hours, maybe woke back up and said, all right, let's go back out. 
to the finish line. I got friends out there running and awesome. we went out to the to the finish line and a couple of my friends who were like super fasties had already finished. I missed their finishes. Like, sorry, Brian and Tim. But um yeah, I was able to see almost everyone else and we just stayed out there until the golden hour and watched all the finishers come in. And it was I'm glad I went back out there, but I will tell you it was like one of the hardest things in the there, world yeah. to DNF and, and uh, yeah. then go to the finish <laughs> line and watch everybody finish that, you know, yeah, it's, it's not a good feeling, but how it's long not... after the DNF did it take for you to sign up for Blackbeards? Um, it took a while. Um, I actually signed up for Blackbeards. When was uh, Karen's race? The, um, the, the 10 hour? hour? The, the, no, oh, the, oh, the eight hour November, right? Yeah. Yeah. So from the end, so almost two months, I didn't know what I was going to do. I really seriously considered like, maybe this isn't the thing for me. Maybe I'm retiring. I I don't know. I was pretty devastated that I could work so hard for something and fail so spectacularly and just took a while to get back into it. But at her race, I had a good day at the eight hour and my husband and I were sitting at the, um, the tavern right outside of there. Oh, the little Smithfield. I forget the the one. Yeah. Yeah. I forget what it's called, but it's a cute little tavern. Red something. I'm red. Oh, I'm bold, no, red gap, red something. Red. It red, yeah. it has red in it. Well, will ask her next red time we here. It's, it's the only thing there. So, yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, my friend Mark and I were both, uh, he also had a DNF, his first 100 mile attempt, and was looking for a redemption race and had been mentioned the Blackbeard to me before. And at my first reaction was, heck no, that sounds terrible. Like a hundred miles on pavement, you know, at the ocean with the wind and the sand and the no, thank you. And then I started thinking about it some more. I'm like, maybe it's not a terrible idea. I love point to points. I train on roads. So it's kind of in my wheelhouse. Why would I not take advantage of that? Anyway, he'd been nudging me about it, but we were sitting there that day and he texted me about it. Like, when are you signing up for this race? You've got to come do this with me. And there was a, there was a sign up at the tavern, like a literal sign that said they had a black beard picture. And it was, it was something else like black beard. It may have been a beer or a brewery or something, but I saw it. I'm like, this is like fate, you know, this is, this is crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, the sign is right in front of me. My friend is texting me about this. So I, I think, you know, I probably had maybe a couple of pints at that point. And I just went right to the website and registered. Right there there. That's and the best way yeah. to do it. So then I'm in, you know, it's like two months from the DNF and then I was training in for that. So awesome. So, so you get to Blackbeard's March 26th, early morning, mm-hmm. uh, wind's blowing just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought I'd be kind there. <laughs> so what's in your head as you're standing at the start line of Blackbeard's? You know, I was actually so relaxed. I was in a great mental headspace and I just kept telling myself, I was like, everything is taken care of. You just need to keep putting one foot in front of the other as long as it takes. I took a completely different approach than I did at Yeti where everything was a spreadsheet detailed down to the minute of when I expected to show up at uh, aid stations and my nutrition and all this, that, and the other. And this time I just basically told my crew, I was like, I want to see you once an hour. I'm going to run with a handheld, show up. This is how many calories I need. Surprise me. You know, just, it, it was, um, I just delegated and turned everything over to them. Um, I'm a bit of a control freak. I can be, so I just let that go. 
and decided that they would take care of me. And as long as I just kept moving forward at whatever pace that was, I was going to, going to get to that finish line. And that was the, the only goal. There were yeah. no, well, I remember I we, we talked say, when we were running together about, you know, yeah. A, B and C goal. And I think we both had the same mindset. A, B and C was finished. Yeah. Yep. And, and whatever it took. <laughs> so let's kind of jump into this. Cause I've never heard of anybody with as many pacers as you had. <laughs> so tell us how many pacers did Jessica have during Blackbeards and name every single one um, of them. Thank them because yeah, you got to thank okay. them. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So the way that came about is I am fortunate enough, my friend Carrie, who was my coach that got me to Boston, she actually has a house down in Salvo, which is probably about the mile 65 portion of the course and I had mentioned back when I signed up I'm like hey it would be really cool you know like that weekend if you and and we have a, a group of girlfriends there's eight of us that um, that all run together and I'm like oh so you guys could come down cool you could come out and like cheer me on as I run by you know that was the original plan I wasn't sure if I was going to want pacers sometimes I get weird and I and sometimes I get mean and I just like to be alone but as the race got closer I realized no I want company I want my friends to be there so I knew some of them were going to go down like Friday night and I reached out and said, you know, I don't expect you to show up at 5 a.m. in Corolla. That would be dumb. But, you know, maybe show up at like Kill Devil Hills around the 30 mile marker. I should be getting there, you know, somewhere around like between 11 and noon. And then I realized it was 35 miles from there to Carrie's house. And there were seven of them. And I'm like, everyone can just have five miles and you can run slash walk whatever with me so that was the plan and then I had my three pacers and crew who were going to take the end bigger miles with me and then I found out like I, so I thought I had 10 pacers right and when I went to pick up my bib they, they made a comment they were like you have 11 pacers I said I have 11 I thought I had 10 who is this extra pacer so then I found out my friend Kelly was coming down and knew from one of my crew members that, you know, you can't just run with someone. You have to be signed up as a pacer. So she had just in case registered in, you know, in the event that I did want company. So my friend Kelly joined me from mile 20 to 30. And oh my gosh, I'm probably going to get the order wrong. So I'm not going to stick to the order because it's kind of a blur. Okay. But I have my friend, my friends, Cindy, my friend, Aaron, Jen, Sharon, Kara, Carrie, Sue was down there. And then I had Rachel, Jesse, and Brian were um, my official pacers and crew. And who else? If I forget someone, I'm going to feel absolutely terrible. Living an Ultra Life is brought to you by Forge Glory Athletics. Forge Glory Athletics is a science-driven, client-proven, premier running company that instills strong, introspective pillars through disciplines of movement that award personal growth and multiple aspects of the athlete's life without injury. We must find the light within ourselves before others can follow. Christopher Guerra. Okay. Well, hopefully I got everyone. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just assume it was 11. We'll say it was 11. Okay. And, <laughs> yeah. and what was your bib number again? One, one, one. Yeah. So yeah, you had to have 11, right? You have to have 11. Yes. Yeah. And then I had extra friends that just showed up to cheer. I mean, and by the time some of them showed up, but we were down like beyond Oregon Inlet. I mean, it wasn't just like a hour drive from Chesapeake. It was kind of a decent distance. So, um, 
yeah, I was overwhelmed with the um, number of people that showed up and then were at the finish line, just kind of yeah. me away. Really shows your your character of who you are as a person that that many people are willing to sacrifice a weekend to come and help you reach a goal. I mean, it yeah. really does show your character. Well, I appreciate that. That was not lost on me at all. And in fact, I just cried the, the entire last mile straight. Well, it it was longer than that because the last mile was actually like two miles. <laughs> yeah, it, it got long. So, well, it's, tell me the bright spots of the race. What were what were your favorite parts of the race? Oh gosh. Um, well, I completely loved the course. I absolutely loved the course. My favorite moments probably. One was at mile 30, I sat down and Brian made me a grilled cheese sandwich that is the best grilled cheese sandwich I've ever had in my entire life. And I don't think it's just because I was in the middle of an ultra. I really think it was. So just sitting there and eating a sandwich while my crew changed my socks and shoes was magical. I felt very pampered. Another huge bright spot was probably mile, oh, I don't know, like mile 70 or so, I started getting in a dark spot and I was with Brian and you know how dark it was out there yeah. that time of night. And I think kind of running out of encouraging things to try to say to me. And so it, he finally says, do you want to listen to some eighties music? I'm like, yes, <laughs> I would love to listen to some eighties music. So he just turns on his music on his phone and the music comes on and the two of us just immediately just start singing at the That's top of our awesome. We're just walking down 12. I don't care. I don't know if anyone heard us. I don't care if anyone heard us. <laughs> But for the rest of the time that we got to that mile 75 aid station, we were just singing at the top of our lungs and it was, it brightened my mood just immediately. It was yep. epic. And then I, I guess the next moment, mile 92, you know how the, the race uh, staff would drive by and kind of yep. check on everyone. Yep. So cars coming by, window rolls down. Hey, you need anything? I said, arrived at the finish. <laughs> no. <laughs> Donut? Would you like a donut? And I just immediately, I'm like, yes. I would love it. And it's not just a donut. It's a dozen Duck, donuts. donuts. Oh, oh my gosh. And I looked and I'm like, I probably shouldn't go buck wild here and get something that's like loaded up with a million toppings. So I took a, a nice subtle donut. And it's funny because as before this was happening, I was on the hunt for a porta potty, which is hard to find in the dark. The sun was a bit starting to come up at this point. But it was still pretty dark out there. And I got distracted by the donut, take the donut, turn around, and my headlight catches something, and it's a porta potty. And <laughs> with me, and I'm going to be like, oh my God, it's a porta potty. <laughs> I have a donut in a porta potty. And she's like, I'm going to eat the donut in the porta potty. <laughs> there you go. No. You waited well, no, until I'm after? Not. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I made clear with the race uh, staff. I, um, I think it was Kathy. And I was like, wait, 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 time out. Does this count as taking aid from a moving vehicle? <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> That's <I'm>, awesome. At mile ninety two, and she's like, "Nope, I stopped." <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Kathy was my favorite one that drove by. I mean, yeah. we got we got to know her name well in the middle yeah. of the dark. I mean, the first time it happened, uh, Angela was pacing me, and this car like pulls up on the other side, and I'm like, and stops. I'm like oh my God, are we in trouble? And then Kathy pops out and she's like, hey, just wanted to check and see. And she was all bubbly and everything. And I'm like, you know, in that 70 mile brainwave thing where you're just like, I am at 70. Do I look okay? Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Yeah. Her enthusiasm was just 
delightful. I mean, it was awesome. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. But I think you, I heard you mention in one of your episodes too about um, when she would say how far the next aid station was. Oh, yeah, she was like, never right on. Yeah, she was totally like, off. <laughs> yeah. You're enough, a half but... mile away and you know, two miles later you're going, ah, yeah. see an aid station. <laughs> yeah, the first time I think my, my friend Karen and I were doing the bridge. So it's still daylight out, but this truck comes up on us and like starts slowing down and rolling down the window. I'm like, who is creeping on us right now on the bridge? And it was, you know, they're checking. They're okay. I'm like, oh, yeah, we're okay. Carry on. <laughs> You're okay to creep. <laughs> That's all right. So, so let's talk about your least favorite parts of the race. Uh, well, um, did I tell you I got lost? <laughs> How did you get lost? Yeah, um, it seems impossible, doesn't it? Yeah. You, it was like actually right after you and I separated. So okay. See, I should have made it for oh, you. We I'll bet I know where you did it. It was it was after the 10-mile aid station where the sidewalk kind of goes off to the left? Yes, it goes off to the left. And there's like all these bushes between you and the road. And I'm like, well, I'm running parallel to the road. This is going to be fine. And I had my music on and I was taking selfies with the sunrise and everything was fine. And suddenly I came up to a road that was perpendicular to the path. And I just said, oh, no, <laughs> I actually said more than that, but I'll keep it PG. Um, <laughs> I'm like, where am I? <laughs> I? My spidey senses told me, oh, you should be able to go right on this road. And in theory, it should intersect with the main road and you should make a left and keep going. But I didn't trust it at that point. Like, I'm going to end up in some neighborhood. So I turned around and backtracked and just the whole time, like, idiot, how can you get lost on this course? <laughs> and I could see the road through the shrubbery. Oh, it was too thick and thorny. I wasn't about to try to like bushwhack my way back onto the road because I knew eventually I'd get there safely. So as soon as there was a clearing, I got back on the road and probably lost like, I don't know, between three and five minutes. It wasn't huge, but it was you wanna, still You want to know how I, how I knew where you got lost? Did you see me come out of the bushes? <laughs> no. So, you know, I stopped at the port of body at mile 10 oh. and used the facilities and got back out and was running by myself and, and my wife was going to, we stayed at the hotel right there, the Hampton Inn. And so uh -huh. she was coming out to bring you refill my water bottles and stick them in my vest and off I went. And, and in my head, I'm going, don't take the sidewalk. Cause somebody said, don't take the sidewalk at mile 11. Cause it's kind of splits off into this neighborhood. And in my oh. head, I'm like, don't take the sidewalk. So what do I do? I take the sidewalk. Well, I come up on this other young gal and she's up there and she's like, she she was coming towards me. I said, hey, you're, go, you're going the wrong way. And she's like, yeah, well, I don't know yeah. where this comes out. And I said, here, let me just pull my phone out and let's see. So I just pulled my phone out and just hit the little thing that tells you where you are. And yeah. I was like, okay, we can go up to this road and we can take a right and then we can take another right and then we can actually be on the road again instead of going back. And so we found our way and she's like, she said, I, she said, I was so angry up here. She's like, cause I got, and she said, I came out in this neighborhood and it's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and so I, I was like, yeah, just stay calm. We're good. It's a, it's a hundred miles. You're, you're bound to get lost once. So yes, I did it too. <laughs> I had to hear that. I should have pulled my phone out and, and seen where I was. That would have been the smart thing to do. But yeah. And then of course, I'm like, how much distance, you know, it doesn't seem like that much distance, but at the end, that extra distance is just. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was bad, but I recovered from that. And then I would just say, oh my gosh, probably everything from mile 70 on was a struggle. I mean, by the time I got to 75, I was done 
running. I had been doing intervals the whole way and I knew that I had done the math to calculate that as long as I could keep, you know, a sub 20 minute hike. I, I mean, I had enough, I wasn't up against cutoffs or anything like that, but I knew I could walk it in. Um, and my running pace at that point wasn't really that much faster to where, you know, it was going to improve my time by that much, nor was that the goal. So um, my husband went out with me at mile 75 and he's, he's a super fast runner. He's getting ready to run Boston um, a week from today, actually. So I'm like, sorry, you know, for a long hike. Um, It's 10 miles together. It's going to be like, I don't know. What is that? Like three hours. (laughs) He was wonderful. He was so patient. He said all the right things and it was just in awe of what I was doing and so encouraging. So he got me, got me through that. And then Rachel got me from 85 to 95 and she was also wonderful as I was in my misery and then Jesse brought me home for the last five miles but that's awesome yeah and developed yeah. a gnarly blister but not until like mile 100 did that yeah. set in that I didn't even feel it until I took my shoes off and then also I was like okay yeah. that's what that was <laughs> yeah I, I felt it I was like there's something big and squishy at the bottom of this foot I need like immediately like someone needs to lance this yeah so what did it feel like to cross the finish line? Oh, it was, it was wonderful. Oh my God. I, I don't know if I've ever been so proud of anything in my life and just so overwhelmed at the same time. And you know, I, it's funny cause I, they had that little chair sitting there and all I cared about was, can I sit in this chair? Like all I want to do is sit. And I sat and I was just so overwhelmed. And then when she brought me the buckle, I forgot about the buckle. I was oh like, my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> my reaction is just like, oh right (laughs) yeah it's quite the feeling isn't it to just get handed that buckle was that just a magical moment yes it's it's a shame you have to be in such like physical distress at that point where you're just like i just want to be done i just want to be done i'm never doing this again i just wanted to sleep i was just like i just want a nap i just five can i just lay down and sleep for five minutes oh i didn't sleep until sunday night like i didn't go to bed till nine o'clock sunday night somehow i just stayed awake the entire time. I don't know how. So what's next, Jessica? Oh gosh. I don't know. Um, I kind of want to do it again, only see how much better I can get at it now okay. that I've about the kinks, but I don't know when that'll be. I think yeah, I'm definitely, definitely going to do seashore awesome. again in December because it'll be my fifth. And I think we get a special something for that, but then, yeah, I will just dabble in some maybe some shorter ultras or maybe jump into the 10 hour in June, see what happens there. And then, um, yeah, figure out if I want to do Blackbeard again or try something different, but I'll definitely be doing another hundred mile for sure. Awesome. Good. So let's kind of end our time together. Let's say you're talking to a new runner, you know, somebody, maybe it's, maybe that's, they've just gotten into the running scene or maybe they've just been introduced to the ultra scene better yet because we all love the ultra community because it's, it's unique. So you're talking to somebody and they're just getting into the ultra community. What would Jessica Carter tell them as a, here's some things to think about putting in your hat when you're running ultra marathons? Oh gosh. Um, Well, I will say completely switch your focus from outcome to process, to 
be a sponge in that talk to as many people as you can, read as much as you can, listen to all the stories and just selectively choose what works for you. Be a science experiment, experiment on yourself, try everything, keep track of what works and what doesn't and just kind of build your own model of the ultra runner you wanna be. That's what I think has worked best for me is just selectively choosing being willing to try anything and being willing to admit when something didn't work and to let go of it and try something else. Wow. That is great advice. Sounds like you follow your own advice too. Uh, Lord help me. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm really proud of you. I just, you know, your whole story of just persevering and, you know, getting over the, the Yeti DNF and realizing, okay, maybe my body wasn't you know, ready for that one. So let's figure out what I've got to do to get my body, you know, ready for the next one. And I mean, you, you did it and you, you had a great finish at Blackbeards. And I mean, just 11 pacers, 11 people <laughs> willing to invest in Jessica Carter. That speaks yeah. to your character. It speaks to who you are as a person. And I really admire that, Jess. Thank you. I appreciate you that. You I'm bet. lucky. I'm yeah. very grateful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you've got a great family. So next up is uh, heading to Boston with Jesse. Yes. All right. So what's his dream? Because this will probably air. We may actually do this next Tuesday, which will be the day after he finishes Boston. So what's what are we hoping for Jesse to to do at Boston? Um, Well, you know, he'll never put it on. He'll put it out there. But um, I'm confident that he's at a minimum going to PR his PR is like a 306 change. So I think he's able, he's going to run faster than that, which will get him another BQ while he's there. And, you know, if he hits sub three this time, I don't know if that's what he's going to go for, but I think it's going to happen. That's the place for it. Just the environment and having so many other talented runners at his level with him, um, I think could really carry him to that. So he's going to surprise himself, whatever he does, every marathon finish, he's like blows his own mind. So I can't wait to happen. I love that you're going to be there to cheer him on. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And your son just did a huge milestone also, right? Yes. Yes. He graduated from tech school and is a full-time mechanic now, you know, making a good living. Time for me to kick him out. There you go. Charging rent. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Everything. (laughs) Yeah. So good job, Jess. Thank you. Yeah. You got it going on. Man, I really appreciate you joining me for the show. That'll do it for this week's episode of Living an Ultra Life with Jessica Carter. Persevere, extraordinaire, really, really strong champion. I hope you guys get to know her a little bit better. Thanks.